Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Paratalk. This week I'm joined by the fantastic Mr. Jim Moon of the even more fantastic website Hypnogoria. Hello Jim. Hello folks. Pleased to be here. <laughs> classic. That's a classic <laughs> introduction. Mr. Mr. Hypnogoria himself. Yes indeed. From the dinosaurs of podcasting as I think of myself now. <laughs> So, um, okay, I always ask, um, so I always kind of say, so my first question, and yes, it is my first question, uh, Hypnogoria. What is Hypnogoria? Let people know. Um, well, it started out as a website. It was going to be like a, an, a vaguely occulty art project, and I started doing a blog because I thought that was a good idea as well as a website, and I started doing film reviews, and then I branched out into doing a a horror podcast well on all things weird and wonderful and um the podcast took over everything really and now i have a family of three little podcasts and uh, the white the site's still going hypnogoria.com and it's something like 12 years on now mm. it, it, that's, that's quite a long time isn't it 12 years i mean uh you, have you did you kind of plan an evolution of it to sort of grow from a main website to sort of smaller offshoots because Obviously, yeah, you do like um, lots of different things. You do sort of narration, you tell stories. I mean, how did that come about? Uh, it was basically I sort of became aware. Well, when I started out in podcasting, it was very much the Wild West, you know, the, the prehistory. And back then it was kind of the more eclectic your podcast was, people liked that. Over the years, times and states change and people wanted their podcast to be more focused on one subject and, I mean, my podcast it is is an SEO nightmare because I do books, I do movies, I do films, I do comics, I do folklore, anything weird and wonderful. Um, but I've always done the readings, and I thought well, it'd be a good idea to have a separate readings podcast and sort of hive that side of the show off into its own branch. Um, but also, I kind of wanted, I started doing my own little film commentaries, and so I started another one with my wife, uh, Commentary Club which is just really a podcast we can do together and have a laugh and drink too much wine and talk through um, a selection of very odd movies often. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you, you, okay, Hypnogoria. I kind of, uh, well, actually, my late uh, uh, colleague, um, Gareth, he, he put me on to you, must have been about three years ago now, uh, and he said, you know, check out Jim Moon. He's got some great stuff on his website and off I went and uh, started to give it a listen and was hooked ever th ever since. Um, so I'm thinking, uh, from from a listener's point of view, because I'm coming coming at it from mm. a listener's point of view, when I come to your website, it's kind of, uh, as you say, you've kind of compartmentalised everything, and you've got your you know your your story reading and stuff like that. Is there kind of one area that you find? gets more interest than than others um it's hard to say i mean i'm very much of the opinion um i do what i'm interested in and i don't worry about the ratings or the stats um and that's largely because over the years i've found um the shows you think will be really popular just perform middling <laughs> and something obscure yeah. i can say i mean a couple of years ago when i first uh last got interested and paid attention to my stats properly. I'd just done a show on this Stranger Things Series 3. I thought, oh, that'll go down a storm. That'll get new listeners in. And it was outperformed by a show I did on an old horror comedy comic 
strip called Faceache about a boy who could scrunch his face into all different monsters, which had just been reprinted. And that outperforms Stranger Things. So you just, <laughs> you just never know. It's weird, though, isn't it? It is. That's weird, though. Very you, you, you kind of, you want to get on that kind of uh, uh, bandwagon and think, well, that's what everyone's doing. So that's what I'll do. And, and then I'll get a little bit of the cake. Uh, and then you do it and it, and it and it's like well did i miss the bus what happened there you know it's like why 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 am i not getting uh an extra few thousand viewers on, on an mm. episode or whatnot but um anyway so moving on a little bit uh staying on the the kind of the hypnogoria theme because i mean it's themed around horror and around uh i'm not gonna say gore um let's just say supernatural mm. supernatural horror that kind of thing uh, and the occult as well, a bit of the occult. Um, so you must have a favourite kind of decade of kind of horror, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, for me, everyone knows, that listens to Power Talk knows I'm stuck in the 80s. Everything is <laughs> 1980s. Uh, for you, what, what what might that be? Uh, well, I say horror has always been a big love of mine, and the, the 80s were very formative for me because I was just at the age to be able to sneak in to see 18 films underage. And so I saw the first Elm Street in the cinema when I was 15 and stuff like that. So I've got a huge affection for 80s horror, but I'm, I'm, I have a very broad church taste. I like lots of different horror. And if I had to narrow it down to one particular decade, I'd probably say the 70s, and in particular the start of the 70s. Because you've still got the likes of Hammer and Amicus uh, producing movies, but you're also getting the sort of a new wave of horror. Like uh, we've got the big budget stuff, like The Omen and The Exorcist, but then you've got all that the really skeevy stuff, like um, original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Last House on the Left, and that sort of new wave of new brutalism. You've got in yeah. Italy are producing brilliant Jallo movies in this period. Um, Further on, you've got, you know, Doug McClough battling rubber dinosaurs in several epics from Amicus as well. Uh, there's probably all this great kind of horror science fiction sort of movies as well, like Omega Man and uh, nearly all, and the Solent Green and all that sort of school of stuff. So I think kind of particularly the first half of the 70s, you get a real sort of overlap of sort of old classic stuff that's still going, but also the wave of the future and... Um, you get lots, lots of very interesting films from the early 70s. Yeah. Um, I do remember as a child uh, creeping downstairs and trying to get a little look of what was my parents were watching on telly and seeing stuff like Hammer House of Horror and stuff like that and being like, oh, that's a bit, you know, now you watch it and you go, well, what's, what's all that about? <laughs> it's just a bit, bit comedy. Mm. But back then, as you say, back then, it was kind of like, that was kind of groundbreaking, that sort of stuff. And it was really popular. And, of course, you've got all those, as you say, those classic sci-fi films. I mean, yeah, I was a kid. We grew up around the same time in the kind of same age bubble. I mean, I was a teenager in the like late 70s and early 80s. And, you know, you had your films like Alien and stuff like that, Mad Max. And they were like, you know, and then, of course, you had the video library. Oh, the video library was... <laughs> that was a revelation. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. Um, what I was going to say was, you know, films in general when you were younger as a teenager sci-fi horror paranormal supernatural what was that for you what was that experience about going to the video library of a for me it was a, 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 a for me with my mates it was a friday after school you'd have your tea you'd get down your mate's house and it was put all your money together 
and let's go rent a VHS tape and let's see if we can get a Sir 18. You know, who's the tallest? <laughs> who's, who can sort of, you know, who can blag their way in? So for you, what was that like? Uh, well, I say, by the mid-80s, was like glorious, again, like an area about frontiers where little video shops were popping up everywhere. And um, mm. they didn't give a toss who they rented stuff out to. And near right. us, there was a garage which branched out into videos, and they couldn't give two hoots what they rented out. So we had the <laughs> likes of uh, the original Evil Dead and The Exorcist from there. Um, most of Friday the 13th uh, came from there. And uh, a lot of those sort of classic 80s, not-so-classic 80s films as well, like, you know, um, particularly also to get straight to video, like uh, various Fred Olin Ray movies and... Um, Oh, Night of the Creeps and all those kind of really classic, culty, scuzzy 80s films, you know, usually on Medusa pictures, things like Forbidden World and Terror Vision. And yeah. uh, so, like you said, we used to like club together and hire out two or three. And at Halloween, we'd uh, try and get like four or five and try and blag somebody's house and get the parents to sod off for a few hours and let some teenage boy watch oh, yeah. some, you know, some quadruple bill of classic or hopefully classic horror if we could get hold of it uh. yeah I, I was gonna say um with with you know the advent of you had the hammer house of horror and yeah dracula and peter cushion and uh, christopher lee uh, how, how do you think it's changed since those days or i mean i must admit that i think that the horror science fiction has changed massively in the last sort of you know three decades maybe four decades uh to what we watch now is all very i think it's very modern it's obviously modern but it's very uh it's got a different kind of genre kind of style the the way they make make films now it's it's completely different and i, I don't know maybe because i'm older and i've got more life experience that when i watch a film it's like it affects me differently as when i'm a kid i'm you know i'm still don't know a lot and what you see on the telly you think well that could be real you know did you, how do you think that's changed? Um, I think horror's an interesting one because it's kind of, when I was growing up, and particularly in the 80s when you had the video nasty backlash, horror was very, it was very skeevy, it was frowned upon. It was, you know, you weren't supposed to be reading James Herbert. You should be reading James Herriot. And, you know, you, you should be watching All Creatures Great Unspoiled, not, you know, kind of, I don't know, Burial of the Rats or something, some terrible... <laughs> <laughs> exploitation <laughs> film from Andy Milligan or something, you know, that you found in the local video show. What is it? I don't know. The cover's great. Look, Blogging's head eaten. We love that. Um, whereas now it seems horror's gone mainstream again. It's kind of it's interesting. It's um, although kind of they still sort of say, oh, horror doesn't sell. It's kind of, well, the biggest TV show in recent years has probably been The Walking yeah. Dead, which, and, and then the other one is Supernatural. It's run for what, 17 seasons or something. Mm. Um, you know, there's, I mean, they'll hate it. Twilight has brought in a whole new generation of horror fans who are, are now obsessed with the occult and vampirism. True. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a lot more acceptable now. And I think generally culture, we're, we're more fan friendly. Whereas when I was growing up, if you like sci-fi or horror or fantasy, you were a bit weird. And if you played, you know, yeah. games, you were on a computer or role playing, you were a bit weird. Now, People are killing zombies on their phone on the way to work, so, you know, at the bank. It's totally respectable now. That's true. Um, yeah. And I think kind of, in a way, I miss the kind of um, the dangerous sort of side of it, that kind of the, the idea of getting compro, you know, contraband. If you found a copy of Fangoria uh, in the newsagents, you know, that was kind of like a real find. 
But uh, I, mean, I think it's good, though, because it is kind of, you know, you don't have to be ashamed of liking this stuff. And people, you know, love sharing stuff. And that's how even now you still, you know, I learn probably of new films more through talking to people online. And, you know, a film comes out, there's a buzz about it. And you go, oh, I'll, I'll check that out. Uh, rather than conventional um, film sites and film reviews. So it's still very word of mouth, which is nice. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things. I mean, I have got a few um, magazines like, you know, Starburst and stuff like that and Fangoria. Um, and th with those magazines, you would get them. And you, but they were, they, that's the way that you you got to knew, know what was coming out, apart from if you were lucky enough to watch, uh, you know, film 81 mm. or 82 or whatever it was at the time you would be lucky enough to see that and see a clip or a interview but it was mainly that now we're kind of spoiled we got it all we just type it in on a search <laughs> engine and tells you all about it and you can watch the you know watch the trailer and stuff but back then i think a little bit more you had something to really look forward to i mean of course i can only go back as a child and think of the you know i don't want to turn this episode into film school but uh when we when we look at tv and movies as a child when you had the star wars when star wars came about and everybody saw star wars and everybody pretty much lost their mind over it and you had you know rumors came out like a, a little while later or they're making another one it's going to be called you know some empire something and then you see a write-up on it and it's this massive weight and this excitement oh there's a new film coming it's going to be amazing and then a few years later, it pops up at the cinema and everybody goes mental again. And and I think that's, we've kind of lost that a little bit now. Um, and I, I, I like know? that sort of oral culture. I mean, I remember yeah. hearing in the playground, people going, oh, they're making another Star Wars, but it won't be a while. It took them 10 yeah. years to make the first one, so it'll be another <laughs> 10 years before years. they get the second one. <laughs> Complete nonsense. But you know what I mean? It's kind of, that's all you had to go on. It was a, It was word of mouth, and particularly like for films, I mean, you know, if you wanted to see an old film, you had to wait till it was shown on TV, if it'd ever be shown mm. on TV. And so, you yeah. you know, you often had a knowledge of movies through other people who had seen them or had claimed to have seen them. <laughs> yeah. I had a few friends like that, and they'd say, yeah, I've seen it. Well, it's about this bloke, and, and he, you haven't seen it, have you? You're just making it up. You just tell him, you're putting all those things together that you've heard, and you're making up some sort of story to make me, you know, want to be your mate or whatever but yeah i had a few mates like that and i also had a few mates that would uh like to spoil mm. stuff and and say you know oh this happens in the end and and i mean i had a few mates like that but you know it's just that's being at school in it and uh you know that the law of the playground way it goes yes. yeah. yeah uh definitely yeah yeah so uh, talking about playgrounds and talking about being kids and stuff like that i think uh it sort of nicely uh leads me into my next uh topic of questioning uh when you were growing up as a kid, how did well? In what way? In what way did television uh, shape your mind for later years? For you turning around and going, you know what? I'm going to make a website, and it's going to be about this. Uh, so, how did, you know, did it have an influence on you? Oh, huge! Um, one of my very, very earliest memories that I can actually date um, is being about two and watching Doctor Who. And in particular, the story, uh, um, 
oh, I completely forgot. It's in, I think it's Inferno. It's in. There's a sequence in Inferno that's stuck in my mind of the way I think where they're transferring to a, the parallel dimension. They all had weird primitive video effects, but it terrified me. And um, I mean, Doctor Who was my gateway drug into sci-fi and horror very much. And uh, I mean, when I was four, I you know pestered my parents to get me the um, 10th anniversary special the Radio Times did. And I've still got it to this day. And I've you know, read it thousands of times. It was my Bible as a child. And um, but the thing with Doctor Who, what I liked is was kind of the scariness of it. And um, you know, it always had a huge impression. I mean, my mum always says, "Well." When we went to school, we always told you what your drawings because they had sea devils and Daleks in them. <laughs> um, and it's kind of, I think, particularly 70s Doctor Who um, in the Pertwee era, where they're doing a lot of stuff that's quite sort of Nigel Neal ish and later uh, into Tom Baker. They're doing kind of like hammer horror in space with things like Brain of Morbius. And uh, I don't know, it opened, a, it opened a door in my head and uh, there's never really shut ever again. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've got to say that uh, you just mentioned two of my favourite Doctor Who's, uh, Tom Pertwee and uh, Tom Baker, and they were uh, they were the Tom, uh, they were the Doctor Who's were for, I used to watch when I was growing up, and uh, you are right. I mean, as soon as, like, uh, Davros sort of showed his face, I was behind the sofa. Um, like, that was too much for me. Uh, all the Cybermen, uh, they, they scared me a bit. But um, uh, later on, as, you know, the, the years went on and I got older, I... I kind of, I was always a fan of sci-fi. I've always been a fan of sci-fi. I remember the days of uh, watching Battlestar Galactica, the film, you know, and of course, you know, and all those other films that came out. And of course, American TV as well uh, started to get in on the act in the late 70s and, and, and the 80s with like, you know, Six yeah. Million Dollar Man and Man from Atlantis and all that. And some people think, well, you know, maybe that kind of diluted it a little bit. That we, you know, with British uh science fiction even children's telly like uh i always bring it up but children of the stones oh yes uh mm. epic an absolute epic and the writing was just as an adult you can watch it and enjoy it it's like you don't you don't turn around and go well this is just for kids it's it's for anyone you know well, the thing is children of the stones i think would challenge a lot of adult viewers these days it's an incredibly complex story oh, yeah. i mean um, i watch it every couple of years and it's every time it, it leaves me from a jaw on the floor i've got a and they made this for kids. This is incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was a huge, I remember that being on at the time and everyone just being fascinated and terrified and wondering what the hell is going on and being very glad there wasn't a stone circle in the nearby fields in my village. Well, yeah, that I always wanted to, I always pestered my parents, can, can we go to the, uh, can we go where it is? And my dad's, and where is it? And he's like, it's in Avebury. And I'm like, can we go there? Can we go there for a picnic? And it's like, well, it's too far away. Uh, and I always wanted to go there because I thought, well, if I go there, I might see a move. And in my head, it was like, you know. And of course, you know, you had that. And a little bit later on, you had, you know, Sapphire and Steel. Oh, and yes. it's like the Putting those two things together is just, you know, your, your mind is gone. You're just like, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand any of this, but it's, this is the future. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, that was another one, Sapphire and Steel is kind of a, um, the next day at school, everyone's going, did you see that? What was going on? I don't know, but it's terrifying. Uh, and these, these shows, they're often you're only shown once, but they, I mean, you know, there's the whole, um, look, you know, Scarred for Life books. There's, there's documenting. Yeah, I had, uh, yeah, yeah, Dave yeah. and Steve. <clears throat> and um, mm. 
it was such a rich time to grow up in because you had all these great series and things like the Clifton House mystery, uh, the changes. And um, I don't know, I, just, I think I grew up just with expecting strange psychic aliens to be invading, the dead rising, <laughs> ley lines to be going yeah. haywire. You know, this was all sort of part and parcel. It just seemed to be everywhere in, at that time. And I, I never really uh, left its grip on me. Yeah, I, I think um, I enjoyed growing up then and I enjoyed watching those TV shows. Uh, as you say, that a lot of them, I think, have been lost to time. I have a few box sets on uh, DVD, which I was lucky enough to grab. Things like Sapphire mm. and Steel, I grabbed that and Battlestar Galactica and stuff. But as I say, it, when when we kind of moved on a little bit into the 80s, we had uh, a kind of TV Americanized a little bit and we had this kind of, you know, stuff was coming over like, you know, Battlestar Galactica and well, it was late 70s but it was still mm. being shown and you had sort of other sci-fi you know stuff from America and, and it kind of it, it tamed it down a little bit and I suppose it did in a way to tame it down because it was for more of a general audience um, do you think that from that point on like the 80s that everything I mean alright we had our as you say earlier we had the slasher mm. horrors and stuff and you had uh, older Jeff that used to come around in a in a in a you know in a you know in a state car and go yeah I've got a box of tapes in the back fifty pence a night and they're all they're all recorded you know <laughs> copies but yeah it was a bit cowboy mm. and it was yeah but that's how it was back then but do you think that when those are kind of um, the American style of uh, movies and episodes and TV shows came in do you think that that's the point where things just started to change and there was less of what there was before I think so I think um... In the 80s, TV, both here in the States, got very safe. Um, and I think it was partly because of the rise of video and people were watching some quite mad stuff and in some cases quite extreme yeah. films. Um, uh, but on TV, suddenly there was this idea of, well, we're a lot more concerned about what's you know available in the home. And both here in America, I think TV, particularly kind of cult TV, started playing it a lot safer a hell of a lot safer yeah. and a lot of things that have been like completely acceptable in the seventies, like a series, a horror anthology series for kids called shadows, which many of which were absolutely terrifying. You couldn't do that. It had to be funny. You had to, you know, sand off the edges and American TV was the same. American TV never really produced the same sort of little serials we did. Although the others had the classics in the sixties, like the twilight zone and the outer limits and uh, thriller. Yeah. Uh, but in the 70s, American TV, their metier for disturbing viewing was all these sort of mad TV movies like uh, Bad Ronald and uh, Don't Be Scared of the Dark. And, you know, there's a whole subgenre of these, you know, quite really dark and often quite frightening TV movies. And uh, but when you say that now, we, you know, we remember 80s TV movies, which were completely anodyne and mundane and boring and cheap. But it was kind of, I don't know, TV in the 80s got very safe. And then in the 90s, it, it yeah. really became a bit of a wasteland because no one was making even much sci-fi, which is quite more family-friendly, never mind like horror. Um, and in the 90s, it was really, it's, it's slim pickings on tip for, you know, weird TV. Yeah, I, I think um, by that time, I mean, you had your, your well, I'm trying to off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly when it was, I think, but Babylon 5 and stuff like that it was very as you say it was very sort of safe and uh 
Although uh, some of the shows were a bit edgy, it wasn't anything like it was, you know, those decades before. As I say, what the supernatural and paranormal, even horror-esque stuff that we had back in the late 70s, shows like Supernatural and, you know, and even Play for Today, mm. some of those, uh, uh, like the Stone Tape yeah. and stuff like that, that was fascinating uh, episodes. And although, as you say, quite low budget in today's standards, the story that they told that's what you watched it for you didn't watch it for the effects you watched it because the the way that the all the people interacted together and that was what i found uh um pretty amazing really as a, as a kid growing up and even going back now and watching it um it's just great well i find a lot of these 70s stuff the the quality of writing and the performances are in are phenomenal and um i think for me, I think Star Wars brought in a big shift culturally. Because I think Star Wars, I know they've been like 2001, which was fairly groundbreaking in terms of effects, but it was Star Wars who brought this great adventure with really high production values and, you know, showed you spaceships that looked real, alien planets and monsters and creatures that looked yeah. real. But before mm. then, everyone kind of, not that we got a meeting and decided, but everyone had a a perception of you know what you saw in the movies and on tv it was a suggestion of what was going on it didn't we didn't expect it to look realistic because you know you know they can't really make a dinosaur they can't really film on mars and so you have like you you judge film and tv with a more theatrical mindset you know you don't you weren't expecting yeah. realism star wars changed that and uh, yeah. i think that's why particularly in the 90s TV couldn't afford to do the effects. And there was a, they shied away from the fantastic because, you know, we can't do it on the cheap anymore. People will laugh. Uh, and now yeah. there was a big shift. And it's interesting now, effect, effects are sort of now with CGI are becoming invisible again. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, I have to say that, I mean, you know, when George Lucas made, what was it, The Phantom Menace, it was awful, very mm. CGI and, when you watch those films back now, it's a little bit like, oh, yeah, some of those effects are a bit... Mm. Look like PlayStation uh, cutscenes. Yeah, mm. it's a bit... Um, I mean, everybody's got their own opinion over, over the, you know, the, the those films, but... And everybody's got their own opinion over the new Star Wars stuff, but, yeah, each to their own. I, I, uh, For me, there's only three Star Wars <laughs> films, but I, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but... But uh, yeah, so I the point I'm saying is that yeah, it's nice when CGI is used and you don't know it's mm. being used. That's the great way of using it. Use it in little in little little pieces and 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 use it here and there, and then you don't know it's being used. And I think that's the great way of using CGI. But when you just try and do everything CGI, you might as well just turn it into a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's just my uh, two cents. But anyway, uh, I was going to ask you. Um, this is Paratalk after all, and. Uh, I uh, ghosts and uh, the supernatural. What, what have you ever had a brush with it? I, I've had several brushes over the years. Um, I've got quite a few stories, <laughs> uh, which I can't explain. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a village which was um, allegedly extremely haunted, and um, part of you know what got me interested in in ghosts and trying my hand at ghost yep. hunting was <laughs> as a kid. Um, I was with. I was like one of the kids in um, Fright Night. I had about vampire hunting kit I'd made with holy water and some garlic nick from the cupboard. That's dedication. Yeah. And a wooden stake I'd whittled myself. Um, but I was, I was 
spectacularly bad at ghost hunting. I was never able to stay out all night like I wanted to. But um, as it was, um, when I was old in my 20s, I lived in Lancaster. And I was renting a place um, with two other guys who were uh, postgraduate students. And it was a Georgian house with the old wooden sash windows and wooden shutters on the inside. Yeah. And it was literally just outside Lancaster Castle. I'd opened the shutters and there was the castle. That was my view. Well, that's very yes, nice. where the Pendle witches yeah. were held. In fact, uh, yeah. my, my bedroom, I could see the tower they were held in, which pleased me a lot. Um, anyhow, so being kind of a student house, there's all these people coming and going. And it's a big, friendly house. And being the centre of town, people drop in for a brew all the time. So there's people coming and going all hours of the night. Um, how, one year, the two guys, uh, they were on a postgrad course. And um, they were studying to do uh, youth work. And that meant they both went on placements for a whole term, which meant I suddenly had the whole house to myself. Um, and it was when I had the house to myself, I realized the house was actually haunted. And usually nearly every night, you'd hear something downstairs in the cellar, which would come up through, walk through the kitchen, and then walk up right to the third floor of the house, go into the bathroom, and then the footsteps would stop. And the first night I heard this, that's, I was terrified because I thought someone had got in <laughs> through the cellar window. And um, you know, I was by the bedroom door going, do I go out? And I heard the, these footsteps go up the stairs with the bathroom, gone. And um, it actually was a regular occurrence. It had probably been happening all the time I'd lived there. But being a busy student house, I always assumed it was just visitors or the other guys. Um, I worked out it wasn't actually a threatening presence. It was just like, I think I thought it was kind of this after a while as being the spirit of the house itself. It just like almost like a, its own night watchman just coming to do the rounds. Um, and I, I never, I never saw anything. But once cause I, it was an old house and the doors weren't terribly well fitting. I did see, you know, you can get a light under the door. I could see the shape of someone walking up the landing and oh. going up the stairs. Just, you know, you can see where someone's legs block the light as they pass the door. Uh, very strange, very strange. Um, later on, we um, one of the guys, he had a, some friend turned up who was a bit of a proper hippie who lived in a van. And uh, she said, oh, you, do you know you've got a portal in your bathroom? Just going, what? Said, oh, no, this is a very powerful house. There's actually a portal in the bathroom where the spirits come and go. It's kind of, oh, that's why it walks up to the bathroom on the top floor every night then. <laughs> so what's it doing in the cellar? I that's don't know. Thing. If it's going up there, if that's the doorway to wherever the doorway mm. goes, what's in the cellar? I don't know. A, that's the thing. We didn't, didn't use the cellar much because it was, a, it was prone to flooding. Um, it was a proper old cellar with an earth floor, and so uh, we didn't really use it and always kept it locked. Um but I know it's a very, very odd, very odd thing. And after a while, you get used to it, though. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, oh, it's just a ghost doing its nightly round about two in the morning. I mean, you you saying that, I, I experienced something similar with a uh, light being broken under a door. Mm. I was uh, had an experience where I was all on my own in a building and something walked past the door and it, and it blocked the light. And uh, that was kind of unsettling because you're not actually seeing a person walk past the door, you're just seeing the light blocked. And some you, you could say, well, it's just a moth uh, <laughs> flying in the thing and blocking the light. Yeah, it could have been that, but it was a big moth. Yes, yeah. You know, know you so, and it was completely silent. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of unsettling. But um, 
Did you have any other experiences from from then? Um, a few. I've got lots of little odd, weird things. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, um, uh, a good friend of mine he was uh, dying of cancer, and um, when he got so very ill, he had a big, lovely dog, nearly three walks a day. So I was regularly going around in the afternoon to take him on the big afternoon walk. Um, and he lived uh, just by uh, in my town, the big park, lovely big Victorian park called South Park which everyone laughs at you know, because of the two. Convenient. Yeah. Um, but I remember I was, I was walking a Rocky, we were just on the way home. I was walking past the bandstand, and ahead of me I saw this girl, um, probably late teens, long blonde hair. And what, what jumped out at me, um, you remember this, but do you remember in the 80s, there was what I call it the fashion for girls for the banana rama style trousers, you know, the big baggy jeans. Oh, the big puffy, yeah, like, yeah. pantaloon things. And they yeah, 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 a bit yeah. short, like halfway down the shin. Yeah, yeah. But she was wearing them, yeah. I thought, oh, they come back in. You know, because I'm at a certain age now, it's going, oh, it's, oh, it's of course, time yeah. that fashion came yeah, back. Yeah. But I had not seen anyone else wearing these for years. I thought, oh, is that back in, or is she just, you know, someone's into her 80s stuff? And yeah, she went around this corner and I was walking the same way. And she was only maybe ooh, 20 foot in front of me. And she turned this corner onto this path. And then me and Rocky turned the corner and she wasn't there. <laughs> what, completely vanished? Yeah, I looked, looked both ways, across, up and down the path. And this corner opens out onto a huge field. She wasn't on the field, nowhere yeah. to be seen. Big wide open. She, unless she just jumped in the bushes, which... <laughs> Unlikely, but you know, well, just, no, I mean, it's one of those weird things. Yeah. I was thinking, well, what did I just see? Was where's where she gone? She must have gone somewhere. But then I thought she's wearing eighties fashions. Who you know? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there could be a there could be a whole story there. There could be a whole untapped paranormal, uh, you know, missing person, murder. I don't know. So I'm just I'm just speculating. Well, the thing is, but... in that in that park, there's two female ghosts allegedly. And there is, yeah, yes, there's a, there's one of um, a, 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 an aristocratic lady from uh, Cromwell's time who was murdered by Roundhead, and she's said to appear near the river, which is not too far away. But there's also another ghost who may or may not be the same phantom of a figure of a girl who walks across that field, and um, mm. it's kind of, I wonder, kind of, well, did I, did I sort of see her and saw her in? slightly old-fashioned clothes, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I have lots of my theories about ghosts. I do think sometimes there's something there and people sort of see something and your brain puts clothes on it, as it were, to make sense of it. Um, that was going to be my next question. Um, as we're getting to the end of this episode, I, I wanted to start to pick your brains a little bit about the paranormal and what you think uh, might be going on with maybe... Uh, you know, a castle that's got a ghost or, uh, as you just said, you somebody sees something that's out of place. Uh, what what do you think might be going on there? Um, I think when we talk about ghosts, I think the problem is we're often talking about a wide different array of phenomena that we all just term as ghostly. I'd say poltergeists are probably quite different to your traditional, like, anniversary phantom. Um, I'm a big subscriber of the stone tape theory, the idea that, some things are sound recorded and if you're just in the right frame of mind, your brain acts like a radio almost and you just tune into a bit of the past and you just get a glimpse of it. I think certainly there's a, 
physics is a very weird field. And I think kind of our brains are quite weird in the, the way they work being, you know, electrons jumping over synapses. And I think sometimes we can, the brain acts as a receiver can pick up stuff. I think some places aren't actually haunted by ghosts, but they have an atmosphere there. There's an energy there that, you know, we interpret in different ways, which is why, you know, you get some places that, you know, you get UFO sightings, you get cryptids, you get ghosts, you get yeah. all kinds of different seemingly nonsensical, you know, mishmash of phenomena, but it's because there's something there and everyone just interprets that differently when they encounter it. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of, uh, like a, as I say, we're, we're kind of like a receptor and depending on your, um, I would say your, not your upbringing, but because of your, the way that you've mentally been brought up and what you, your understanding of the world, maybe that has an effect. And talking about the stone tape theory, I just, uh, I think my last, yeah, my last episode of Paratalk, I did, um, I put up the actual original recordings from uh, the Prince of Wales pub in Kemfig, Wales, where two, uh, what was one electrical engineer and an industrial chemist they did an experiment to an old hall that was above the pub and they basically charged the walls with mm. electricity they had two probes and they you know 20,000 volts through it and seen what happened and they did record stuff and there's a lot of conjecture about what they captured some people say well it's just electrical feedback that's all you're hearing but it's you know there, there are voices mm. in there and there are sounds that do sound like uh uh, real, you know, what we'd hear, you know, TVs yeah. and stuff like that. And as you say, you know, one of the things that getting a bit out there at the moment, and when you look at the way that buildings were built all those years ago, uh, silica, quartz, you know, maybe maybe some way that uh, that can become charged, emotionally charged, maybe some sort of sound can be captured within it under right conditions. I don't know. I know that I, I will say that I've been in buildings where, you can walk in a building and you can immediately get that feeling. Yes. It's mm. like uh, you're walking into the past. Um, and it's not, it's not like you're intentionally trying to put yourself in. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm psychic mm. or anything like that. I'm not, not saying that, but I do believe that everyone, everyone that on this planet has got more uh, powers of perception than what they let themselves have or what they are available, available to them. And it's scary that, I mean, for example, the poltergeist phenomenon. If we look at like the Enfield case, you have a young girl who's apparently being you know, harassed by, you know, uh, a ghost. Mm. Uh, and apparently his name's, what was his name? Bill. Mm. And he had a, a brain hemorrhage and died in the house. I died in that uh, chair. He came, <laughs> That's a famous recording. I died guys. in the chair downstairs. <laughs> yeah. Of a brain hemorrhage. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but I mean, we're joking, but at the end of the day, Lots of people experienced and witnessed phenomena in that house. They witnessed furniture moving around, things being thrown about. And it wasn't just the young girl, Janet, doing it all. And, okay, kids are kids. They're going to they're gonna add to it. They want to keep it going, you know, if it's fun for them. Um, but there are lots of cases around the world with the poltergeist phenomenon where people experience stuff. And it's, it's clearly they're not, the, they're not the ones that are doing it consciously. But maybe they are doing it unconsciously. So, uh, yeah. I think that the poltergeist cases that that does uh, I do find that fascinating, but I think that um, you know it's just a ghost. You know, I don't think it is. Maybe it's something a little bit more involved. As you say, we we're, we're starting to learn a little bit more about science now, and maybe there 
learning that extra you know mm. going down that road and maybe there's there is an answer there somewhere but i don't think it's going to be answered any any time soon my my second question as we're on the paranormal and supernatural um ufos have you ever seen one uh yes i have seen a ufo not not terribly exciting but um uh both me and my friend uh did did see one um it was kind of uh, we'd been around june it was a summer evening and at the time um we're just doing what teenage boy did was like loaf around being bored but um at the time my house i lived in um it overlooked a big field and uh, it was a beautiful like balmy clear night and you could just see the stars coming out and we we're just actually trying looking at the stars trying to spot constellations um and we saw like a little one star flashing and at first we thought oh it's a plane yeah. um but, but then it was obviously it wasn't a plane there was no other lights and um it was just like a pulsating star but it was moving across the sky but in a very sort of like slow arcing sort of snaking fashion and we watched it for about 20 minutes it just moved like across the sky and then it stopped and it sort of flashed and it got brighter and brighter and brighter then it just winked out mm. um and then about, about 10 minutes later a plane did go across that same area of sky and it was actually light enough at the time you could actually see the actual plane in the sky and you know it was a completely different thing and uh, we have no idea what it was so I've, I've looked into all sorts of astronomical explanations and uh, i've never really heard of anyone anything like it but it, we, you know, we watched it for a good 20 minutes this strange winking flashing star sort of erratically sort of snaking its way over the sky and then it disappeared so um uh, to carry on from my question uh, to add to it actually um aliens do you think they're the ones that are uh, doing all the work and uh you know what 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 what's your what's your take on that well alien i find again we've probably got several phenomena going on there um i'm a big sort of uh i think there's a lot to the idea of the earth lights theory that you know uh, geological yeah. stresses and magnetic fields can generate these glowing lights um the village i lived in kids regularly used to say who lived at the other end of the village they saw um ufos like big lights over the quarry which would fit um but i think kind of the universe being the size it is i i would say probably at least once or twice we have had a visit from an alien craft who's come down and had a look around and then gone away again i think it's kind yeah. of the size of the universe there will be other life out there and it will be more advanced than us and they've probably visited us a couple of times I'm not sure they're coming here on day trips on a regular basis or, but I think, you know, at least a few times it will have already happened. We'll have been visited. So they've kind of landed and had a walk around. I thought, no, these people are mental. We're off. Don't worry. We've done none of this. Quite probably. They're all, a, oh, they're all crazy. They just, they try to kill us. I, I like so the Douglas Adams theory about the teasers. Bored, uh, bored, yeah. bored space kids who come down in the middle of nowhere, find yeah. someone who's never believe and walk around making beeping yeah. noises, <laughs> and then just yeah. go. <laughs> they never believe them. So anyway, uh, I think we've we've come to the end of this episode, but I still want to ask, uh, uh, what's um, in store for Hypnogoria in twenty twenty two? Um, well, I'm currently working on a new, uh, probably the last batch of chapters on uh, my history of universal horror films 
And uh, when that's wrapped up, I'm quite fancy having a crack at doing a history of the old Amicus movies. Um, and this October, I'm going to be very brave and do a big retrospective on all the Halloween films, <laughs> which means revisiting some rather shoddy sequels. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know. I was going to say that you've uh, you 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 you're setting yourself up for it there Just a little a bit. bit. But uh, yeah, that's a lot of work. That's an awful lot of work. What you should do actually. Uh, just as a as a suggestion is to maybe dig out all of those uh, classic eighties kind of TV shows and do like a a retrospective on, on each episode <laughs> and go through them and 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 point out what's great and and what's not not so great. Uh, that would be a maybe it'd take you a hundred years <laughs> to do, but it uh, it definitely uh, would be fun. Well, I think. I'm overdue doing a um, a show on Children of the Stones and maybe the yeah, favourite scary um, children's TV series, Shadows. I've been meaning to get round to those for a while, and uh, but Children of the Stones would be the next one I tackle in that vein. And certainly now with, with um, the likes of BritBox adding more and more cult stuff, I wouldn't rule out maybe in the future, so probably with my wife on Commentary Club, of actually going through one of these old series. I mean, if we went through all the, um, through lockdown as a morale boost, we did all the Blackadder. And uh, we've got the end of Black Adam. We just literally last week did a, an episode looking at the scary uh, public information films. And we did a commentary oh, for yes. the infamous Apaches, the warning film about why you shouldn't play on farmyards because you'll die horribly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim. Well, thank you very much for coming on Paratalk. It's certainly been uh, fun. I'm sure at some point in the future you'll be back again. Oh, anytime. Uh, so. Excellent. Um, where can people find you? Where should they go and to find out more about Mr. Jim Moon? Uh, well, you can find my one-stop shop is hypnagoria.com, where you can find all my podcasts, not to mention big-ass sections of um, articles on folklore and cult films and all other goodies as well. Excellent. Well, thanks. Thank you, Jim. Uh, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Of course, paratalkpodcast.com for more podcasts and more strangeness and until next episode see you soon